Hi, friends. Welcome to Season 2 of Bar of the Conference. I'm your host, Derek Scott III. Today's episode is with Reverend Caleb S.G. Durma. Caleb is an ordained elder in the Liberia Annual Conference, where he serves as the Conference Director of Ministry to At-Risk Youth. He also serves as the West Central Conference Regional Coordinator for the United Methodist Africa Forum. Caleb offers a compelling witness and perspective as a proud United Methodist in Liberia. In this interview, Caleb shares his personal story of growing up and embracing his call to ministry, and the ways his unique family structure has shaped how he thinks about church and community. You'll also hear his heart for the UMC, why he believes regionalization is our best next step, and his passion to see our denomination remain united on the African continent and worldwide, in spite of our differences. I was grateful for Caleb's willingness to join me on the podcast. And while you'll hear some background noise every now and then, this was an incredibly helpful and powerful conversation. So friends, grab that notebook, that choice beverage, and let's listen to this really great interview with Reverend Caleb S.G. Durham. Reverend Caleb Durma, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Um, how are you? I'm good. Um, I know that it's uh, middle of the day and, and a bit hot where you are in Liberia. I, it's it's uh, first thing in the morning here in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, and it's it's cool. And, um, and I'm just, I got my coffee and I'm ready to go. So I'm doing ah. good. Could you tell me sort of, Let's start at the beginning. Um, how you became a United Methodist Christian, God's provenient grace acting in your life to bring you into our church. I've heard a lot of testimonies about other uh, United Methodist ministers um, who go back generations. I don't. My, my great-grandfather was a warrior chief. Um, he learned the art of war in a traditional way, and he passed that on to my great-grandfather. My great-grandfather passed it on to my grandfather. But because wars were subsiding in the part of the world that I come from, he, only he did not become a warrior chief, even though he learned war signs of his time, he only became a chief. And I remember going home many days and sitting down at my grandfather's feet and uh, the elders and chiefs from all around in the villages will come and my grandfather will talk to them about uh, the rules of life, about uh, harmony, keeping harmony in the family and all of that. My father, uh, at the same time, why he, my grandfather, my great-grandfather and all were doing this. I had an uncle who was living on the fringe of town because he was a leper. Um, they made him to live 
outside of the community. One time, one day he heard that there was a leposerium, a leprosy colony built some miles away from the village. He took 11 days to walk from there to the leposerium. That leposerium was built by the people called Methodist. He went there, he stayed there, and he got healed. When he got healed, he decided that he will not go home just like that. He will go and learn how to give the good news about his healing. He went into ministry. He became mm. a pastor. But as soon as he became a pastor, he went back to the village. He called his younger brother, my father. He said, come and go to school. My father followed him. And my father went to the Methodist school, graduated, and went to the Methodist nursing school. There he met a beautiful woman, and two of them got married and came forth Caleb. You see, I'm saying all this that, to say I was not meant to be. Uh, I was one of those people who um, really, really was not meant to be. It took leprosy to bring me to where I am. This yeah. is how God, grace, found me. Yeah. Through a sick uh, leper, through an unwanted leper. Um, I came through that way. And I went, I, I, when I was born, I started school at United Methodist School until I came to fourth grade. Then I migrated to a, a Catholic school until I finished high school went to the government university. And then after graduation, I went to the Baptist seminary. Um, it, it didn't sound that smooth. There were a lot of trouble going through all of that. But I was a United Methodist at heart and I came back and told the church, here I am, use me. But this, this story is saying about how grace forming and grace brought me on the cross. Yeah. How the foot of the cross is where uh, we can all find the mercy and grace. He took a he took a leper and cleansed the leper to find someone like me. Mm. Uh, this is how I became a United Methodist Church uh, pastor. And blessedly for me, through the years, I have served uh, the United. I have pastored large churches many large churches and i've also pastored smaller churches though i've served on boards and committees and commissions um i served one time as the director of youth and young adult ministries uh today i serve as the director of at-risk youth ministry i am the united methodist envoy to the ghetto body uh, Liberia Annual Conference. Um, drug addiction is a serious thing here, and this is where I now serve. My father was a nurse. When he graduated, uh, though he married my wife, many things happened and there was a divorce. My father became a polygamist, and he served his life Coming to the last 10 years of his life, he had some convictions. My father, the polygamist, 
um, establish a church. Look, you, you don't understand what I'm saying. I have 41 sisters. Did you hear me? 41? 41 sisters. Yeah, I, I am hear not that. Counting my I am not counting my brothers because we, we boys are more. Mm -hmm. um, he started a, a Methodist church on his porch. Mm. Um, the first set of deaconesses that were there were his wives. This church grew from a little community of people. It is now about 250 persons in that church. He even used this polygamist. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not condoning it, but he even used him yeah. To, yeah. to bring, to glorify his own name. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I come from not only uh, my grandpa, my grandfather's, my great-grandfather's, my great-great-grandfather being a warrior chiefs. I come from a, a polygamous family. Yet, God has chosen us Chose pluck us out to tell you the truth. I got about eight brothers and sisters who are ministers of the gospel. What was what was it like to be in church to, to be to be in a church that really was like essentially your whole family? And and how did that witness to your community? Uh, I think a lot of things play in. Talking about my grandfather being a warrior chief. My father was supposed to learn the art of being a chief. And when prevailing grace took him away from it and sent him to school. He became a nurse. Um, my father, both in my father and mother's home, there was always room for one more person. I will come, I will mm -hmm. come from on campus during the vacation and bring uh, 10 of my friends. My brothers will bring there and we will all be together there was always room for one, one mm. more person at the table. Yeah. My, 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 my mother would cook and serve a fabulous meal on the table. And when you ask who, why all this food, we say maybe guests will come. Just maybe a hungry person will come along. So I'm saying that, that there was this heart that God chose to use to build up his own kingdom um, around us. Yeah. We grew up like a community and we like a family. Like I said, I got a huge family and, and, and people were, were always being added. So mm. I grew up with things being for a community. Right. Uh, we ate in a bowl. Maybe four or five of us joined our food together to eat. We we got home. Um, we we'll spread the mattress down, and four, five, six of us would just lie down across it. 
Hmm. A, a community of people. Mm -hmm. um, so we grew, even though we have different mothers, when you see my siblings and I, you will know the difference because we are close-knitted. Yeah. Yeah, we are close-knitted. Um, unlike other places where people went, oh, they'll talk about half-brother. There's nothing in my vocabulary called half brothers. Um, mm -hmm. I think when I when I'm in the US or in in Europe, that's when I hear it a lot, and it's like mm -hmm. hey, half brother. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I I don't think in terms of that. Yeah. So, so at was there a point? You know, I've asked you the question like you know, when you heard your call to ministry, but was there a moment that you discerned that not only were you called to ministry, but you were called to ministry in the United Methodist Church? Was there that moment for you? Or was it just sort of understood that you were going to serve in the UMC um, in Liberia? Mm. It was, there, was there, there may have been a moment Um because, like I said, I went to Catholic school. I learned catechism. I, I even spoke to the bishop at that time about my call. And I, I almost became a Christian brother. But it, it's, it's, a, it's a fraternity in the Catholic movement from Ireland. Mm -hmm. But, and then I... As I went back to the United Methodist Church, I saw that there were things to do with young people. And then I, I, I harnessed my call that I was called to young people. Mm. Um, I was called not to the pulpit from the very initial. I, I, I knew deep within me that my call was to young people to mm. help them grow up. Um, grow in their faith. So I worked through Sunday schools. I worked through youth ministry in my local church and in churches around me. And uh, I, I, at one point, I would serve Baptist youth camp. I would serve the Methodist youth camp. I would serve the Lutheran camp. I will, I will work with Episcopalians to, to, to do their camp. I mean, I knew that I was called to young people to the point that um, mm. I even contacted the uh police to to be uh to to witness uh to take care of the children the juvenile prison mm. at one point yeah wow wow so i'm I, there, there, there was a time in my life that i didn't i did not know i would have served the united methodist church per se mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but as I, as I went to church and as I saw situations and I and I, 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 I worked around it, I definitely knew that my call was to the United Methodist Church to work with young people um, through it. Wow. Yeah. And I think that you are, um, I think you are serving um, in a space that, um, as you said, we in the U.S., we in the U.S. tend to have more than we need. Um, and um, where you are, I, I just, 
I can't imagine. In fact, let me just ask that. Tell, tell us about ministry in Liberia. Tell us about the ministry context in Liberia, both broadly, but also specifically your work with at-risk youth. Let me, let, let me start with this, mm -hmm. with a history, a little history of Liberia. Yeah, yeah. Liberia was founded by free slaves from the U.S. Uh, in the 1800s. Mm -hmm. Our first mm -hmm. president was born in Richmond, Virginia. He was a free slave that came to Liberia. Mm. Guess what? He was a Methodist. Oh boy. <laughs> Our first. So you see, Methodism and Liberia are tied together in many ways. Mm -hmm. Our last president was a United Methodist. I mean, is a United Methodist. Our present president is a United Methodist. Oh, wow. So um, there's a lot of. And. It has been like that. Our longest serving president was a United Methodist. The United Methodist Church started in the 1800s. In fact, the story is told that it came on the boat that brought the free slaves. Mm. Uh, the Liberia Annual Conference is the oldest annual conference in the United Methodist Church outside of the U.S. Oh, wow. Uh, with that little history said, the United Methodist Church in Liberia, at one point, it was in, involved with church plant in the Ivory Coast and in Guinea. In mm -hmm. fact, as far as Ghana, oh, we've wow. been into that. Yeah, when the refugees went, there were two churches that they planted while they were there. Um, the Methodist Church here has done so much, building hospitals, schools, um, they've made tremendous impact into our social economic uh, growth as a nation. We've also made so much impact into being the spirit, in fact, we are the oldest, we are the largest denomination in Liberia. Oh, wow. We are the largest denomination in Liberia. This is the church that we are with. Serving it, I mean, I tell everybody I'm a proud United Methodist. Uh, some years ago, I decided that pulpit, four walls, could not contain me. Yeah. So, and there was uh, there, there was a curse. There was a, a a problem brewing up in Liberia with young people moving into the ghetto, uh, drug addiction becoming a problem, and all of that. Last year, there was a a fundraising by the UNFPA and the Ministry of Youth and Sports. We were told that two out of every ten young people are on drugs in Liberia. Mm. Twenty percent mm. of the youth population is on drugs. Mm. And when I do the calculation, is it's almost the whooping number of seven hundred thousand young people on drugs. 
Oh my. The ghetto are getting overcrowded by the time. Caleb uh moved into moved into the ghetto some six years ago mm -hmm. and started to acquaint himself with the conditions there, started to take some young people out of the ghetto and send them for rehabilitation and and so forth. One of them now is back in school and is about to be a nurse. One of them is um, that graduated from a, a skilled training school is into refrigeration. And uh, many, many more are there. The ghetto, um, to, you will not understand what it is, the level of filth that these children leave home to go live in. Health condition is terrible. One of the things we do is we do medical reach out, out, outreach to them also. We carry a medical team. After our services, we feed them. We do, um, we do the medical outreach. I mean, I take, I leave my numbers. They call me at all hours to come for people to take them to the clinic. Um, I have to look for money here and there to take them there. In fact, just last week, one of the girls delivered, um, had, had a boy. Uh, in fact, it's, it's like something that I have to go through every month about four children are being born in the ghetto. And they will call me and I will take them to the hospital and all of that. The, again, in the hospital, I mean, in the ghetto, it's such that the, the ruffians, you will find hardcore criminals, mm -hmm. drug addicts, prostitutes, and all of that. So there is always violence. I, I'm called at all hours that this person got hurt. This person is at the hospital. This person was taken to prison and I got to communicate. I mean, I, 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 I got to go in between all of that. Uh, the joy of it is that these hardcore criminals, these drug addicts, uh, they allow me into their cycle. They tell me they are hard. We sit down, we pray and we cry together. I know most of them, I mean, I, I, I have come to the place where I know now that addiction is an illness. And those addicts, I know they pray sometimes more than we who go to church every day. Mm, mm. I mean, they, they get up, they go to bed at night crying that, Father, take this thing away from me. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's killing me. But in the morning, be, when they are feeling their withdrawal syndrome, they want they go for the next high, so that they, they, they're not get they're not getting high any longer. But they are they they, they, they want to be, keep stable. Yeah, they are taking them so that they can keep stable instead of going through all the pains of 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 um with the, from the withdrawal syndrome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. So, I mean, I, I, I sympathize with them. I, I've heard testimonies that I'm, I'm, I'm like, wow. Parents come to my office and just fall down and cry. My son, who is the smartest in the family, has gone local on drugs. 
He has moved to the ghetto. Caleb, you need to do something about it. Hey, which which ghetto? Then we get out. Of, in fact, uh, you sometimes find them and take them to the rehab. The, the bad thing about it is not many families are able to uh, support the rehab habit. So it put mm -hmm. extra burden on me um, to go out looking for funding to do all of that. Yeah. But uh, this is ministry that I enjoy. This is uh, I don't enjoy, the, I'm not enjoying their conditions, but I'm enjoying the ministry because the saving grace of God continues to flow and I'm connecting it. I'm connecting it. My, you, I'm saying this. I'm a product of God's saving grace. I was never meant to be. And here I am in the midst of these people who probably have lost their way. And they, mm. they do think they were not meant to be, that some, somehow they have lost it all. In fact, the illness has taken over them. That nothing good can come out of them. And I'm there saying to them or saying to myself, maybe I will have been like this or worse. Hmm. How can I give up on them? God never did give up on me. Even before my coming to being, he was preparing the way through my uh, uncle that was a leopard to get me out uh, there how can i give up on them so this is where i am uh with these people in my ministry um it's a ministry of caring is a ministry of of, of giving out grace is the ministry of being a channel of god's grace to the world in fact it, it brings me to the mission of the united methodist church mm. transforming mm. the world yeah for Jesus Christ. Yeah. So inspiring. Gosh, thank you for that. Caleb, can you tell me a little bit about the state of the UMC in Liberia today? Like, like, like United Methodists everywhere, we are at a crossroad. Mm -hmm. uh, in Liberia, the difficulty we have is that the Wesleyan Covenant Association and the Good News Club uh, have planted the wrong seed in our midst for too long. And the only thing they talk about is uh, homosexuality and disaffiliation. For three years, we've been going through that. Mm -hmm. And we are now saying to them, uh, this affiliation is not what we need. We will not encourage this affiliation. We will not do it. In, in fact, Africa will remain United Methodist. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what they think, what they say, we have resolved that we will remain United Methodists. Um, the Liberia Annual Conference has suffered a lot mm -hmm. because the leadership of 
Africa Initiative, which is aligned with the um, Wesleyan Covenant Association, proxy for the Global Methodist Church, they keep on propagating the wrong message to our people for the last three, four years. And um, last year, we just, we, some of us just got tired with their message and said, we don't want to hear this message again. We, our people have heard the wrong message for too long. So we've given up ourselves to talk to the people about the unity of the United Methodist Church. Uh, and I see that a lot of people, a lot of people are hearing the message. In fact, they wanted to hear it, but somehow we kept silent for too long and we are going out now apologizing for our silence, for our silence and giving out the word to them. Mm. So we, even though we are at a crossroad, uh, I trust and I believe that um, we will get there. Mm -hmm. We will get there um, as, as, as a church, as a united yeah. church. Yeah. Uh, uh, a few people might go, trust me, uh, we are working. A few people might go, but it will be an insignificant number. Uh, I, I will not talk about God's children being insignificant, um, but the number will be so small that um, in few years, we will, we will sit down and hold the cross mm -hmm. and say, come. Yeah. Come. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Caleb, um, let me ask this. Were you at the special session of General Conference in 2019? No, I was not. Okay. But I, I, I follow it all through. Yeah, yeah. As many of us yeah. did. Um, I was on the floor, but many of my colleagues and friends definitely were following. When you got word that the traditional plan passed, what was the, what was your kind of response to that? And what was to your, from your perspective, what was the response in Liberia to the passing of the traditional plan? Let me first say I'm, I'm an African. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe I honestly and sincerely believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. Mm -hmm. When we all heard that it passed, Africa celebrated that, that it passed. Um, the troubling part of it is in the midst of this celebration, you see, we need to put my presentation into context. Uh, it has a cultural context. Right. Almost right. every country in Africa have a law against same-sex marriage and homosexuality. Mm -hmm. Our culture does not condone it. Mm -hmm. Our context is different 
I've sat down in meetings in the U.S. and when they talk, when they come to homosexuality, I don't talk. And they will ask me, why are you not talking? Um, you've been contributing to the rest of it. I say my context is different. Mm -hmm. uh, in Africa, we don't talk about homosexuality. Mm -hmm. This is it's not our context. They say, what is your context? I said polygamy. And they what? <laughs> what do you think about commitment? I say, uh, uh, don't bring it to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what I'm saying is uh, every culture, I mean, the, because of the diversity that we, we bring to the table, one culture is suffering from uh, same-sex marriage and homosexuality, and the other one is polygamy. Is any of them right? Is, is one of them wrong and the other right? Or mm. are both of them wrong? I mean, so this brings me to the place. I mean, when I talk about region, regionalization, I don't connect it to same-sex marriage or other things. I, I, I connect it to a lot of different things. Yeah. Let me just say it this way. Few general conferences ago, the West Africa Central Conference decided that the youth age in the West should be different from the youth age in the Central Conferences. So in the West, it's 18 years old and below, tw between 12 and 18. Here is 12 to 24 different contexts, different culture. Yeah. Worship. Our worship here is vibrant, is uh, moving, is uh, that kind of a way. It's, it's, it's expressing emotions. Mm -hmm. Worship in the U.S. is a hair stuff. Um, people think through it, think through God issue. Yeah. Is that yeah. emotional? Is one wrong and the other right? No. Let's take ordination. In the U.S., you require uh, a master's degree in divinity or theology. Here in Liberia, it's a conference course of study that require that is required for ordination. Are we wrong? Are you right? It's in context. Yeah, yeah. When we put everything in context, then the whole idea of self-governing, self-determination sets in. And when there's self-determination, then there's a voice of the people that is heard that what comes along with it. And when the voice is heard, things happen. I mean, I mean, we, we, we can talk about equity in, 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 in light of that. When the voice is heard, a lot of things happen. So um, there is, uh, uh, we, we contextualize our own theology 
um, mm -hmm. in, in, in Africa. We talk much more about our culture and our context when, mm -hmm. oh, you see, um, that when I when, when I'm thinking about what what is going on, I'm not I'm, I, I I I don't want regionalization because of homosexuality. Mm -hmm. I want regionalization because it helps me. It helps Africa to raise up their own voices. Yeah, yeah, and it helps us to define our context and look at our culture again and say, look, culturally, let's upgrade ourselves here. Let's do this. What is the context? Uh, I, so, I mean, those are some of the things that I, I, I think about when we come to this place. Gosh, Caleb, thanks for all of that. Um, I think it's really helpful. And, you know, we often hear about comparisons of the U.S. versus the U.S. context versus the African context. But Africa is an entire continent. <laughs> um, yeah. And you all are not all of the same mind on the continent. So can you tell me a little bit of the diversity within the larger African context, you know, like the ways that the context of Liberia may be different from the context of say the Congo. Um, can you give me a little bit of insight on that? The context of Liberia, uh, let, me, let, 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 let me say this. Um, I, I, I know it's a continent, but there, there are so much we have together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's so much. They, I think, <laughs> uh, in some way, Liberia messed up some of the the African thing up because of our own uh, baggage, our own stuff that we bring along. Mm. Like I said, we were born out of the free slave movement in the U.S. Yeah. So there are a lot of things that we do that have destroyed our cultural values in Liberia. Hmm. The rest of Africa hold dearly and tightly to culture. Culture is loose in Liberia. Hmm. Uh, there are not many places in Africa that you will stand before an elder and and tell him you cannot do this or or try to crowd an elder down there are ways that we we make our elders to apologize to us on the continent mm -hmm. but it, it, it has to be philosophical soft and let them come to that point and say, my son, I know what you're talking. Uh, I would not do it again. But we, you can't say, no, you are wrong. You are wrong. You shouldn't do that. Um, yeah, th mm -hmm. those ways don't work. Mm -hmm. But Liberia, 
uh, is much more on quote unquote what everybody call human right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which for me, um, it has diluted our cultural values. Uh, these human rights issues will not work as much in other country and other things because they hold dear to the cultural value. We hold dear to the teachings of the ancestors. We hold dear to our roots. Um, what, what am I saying? Uh, my, my, my example in this comes like this. In the West, because of your salesmanship, because of your uh, flamboyance, and it, 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 I'm, I'm not saying it in a derogatory way. No, you're just that, telling that, the that, truth. <laughs> you're just telling the truth. That, <laughs> this is something uh, in Africa. We protect the roots, mm -hmm. but because of who you are, you like the flowers. It's the flowers you show to people because it, it will make money. It will, it, I mean, uh, other people will see it and come after it and you will sell it. You will do that. The roots, nobody sees it. And these are the things that we value. So uh, I, I can say, no, this thing is deeply rooted in my family. I will not let it go. Take for the instance, I mean, instance of land. Mm, mm. Uh, it was because of the Western way of life that we sell land. Land belongs to a community. It belongs to a tribe. It belongs to a people. They don't sell it. Mm. Because on this land, my great-great-grandfather uh, owned it. They were buried here. There's no way I can I, I, I can destroy my root by selling it. But hey, Westerner would say, look, wait a minute. Uh, you got all this land. You are poor. Why you don't sell some of it and then do this, that, that? I mean, so you see the flower, the commercial value is what they look for. The, how, how I can get it marketed. And that's not you. That, there's hardly a way to market the roots when, when, when you hold dear to it like that. Yeah. Oh wow. Thanks for that context, Caleb. So helpful. I know that you are involved in um, some efforts to bring together United Methodists on the African continent uh, so, that, so that the United Methodist witness continues there. Um, and I know one of those efforts is the United Methodist Africa Forum. Can you tell me a little bit about how the Africa Forum started and what what brings you to that work? What inspires you to do that work? Um, sometime, the, sometime last year, 
I got infuriated with the message that uh, uh, the Africa Initiative and the Western Covenant were spreading all over Africa. Even though there was a voice, there was a voice of Africa by Andy Emmanuel and his group. Mm -hmm. I, I knew I knew little about it, mm -hmm. and then we started. I, I mean, I started some writings. I started uh, propagating some things, and while we were on it, uh, Albert Albert Lawrence somehow got one of those papers, and we started to talk. Then Lloyd got on. Then uh, Gabriel from Zambia got on, and the four of us started to talk. We, I think we had our first meeting sometime in, in June, by Zoom. Mm -hmm. And we started to mm -hmm. talk about it. We started to invite other people on. And we found out that there are people across the continent with the same mindset. And we are sitting down far apart and allowing these uh, Africa initiative guys to tear us apart. And we started to come together. We started to talk about it. And we said, look, one day in um, November last year, we said, can we have an in-person meeting? And it was like uh, an in-person meeting. Hey, we don't have money. Well, let's just plan. As then somebody said, four of us having an in-person meeting. What, what is that? He said, no, let's have an in-person meeting with delegates from uh, the three central conferences. That's how we moved to that and had our first meeting in Johannesburg in mm -hmm. April. Uh, the whole idea is the unity of the church. The ministry, we've been so much in ministry on this continent. We've done so much as a church on this continent. We need to maintain the unity of the church. There are too many things that has happened. Um, and these people are using uh, an example that is out of Africa as a context to take Africa from the United Methodist Church. And we are saying no. Mm. Everything you are saying gave us an example of it happening in Africa. It has not. Mm. We are a long way from it. More than that, the College of Bishops in Africa have said we stand with the Book of Discipline. Marriage is between a man and a wife. Uh... We don't condone uh, same-sex marriage. They said that three times and they reaffirm it over and over. Liberia Annual Conference have said this three times and reaffirm it over and over. Um, where are we going? Look, I, I think the United Methodist Church in Liberia and in Africa it's far stronger now than it was three years ago. We are coming mm. together. And this is because uh, UMEF have started a discussion uh, with, I 
as I think about UMEF, here is what it has done. I remember somewhere in the Bible, a prophet was supposed to do something, and he said, you know, I want to do it, but I'm alone. And God said, you are not alone. There are a host of people with you. They're coming together. Told us that there are a host of people with us longing for the unity of the church. And everything that will make the church to keep united, we need to do it. Should the people in the West say, we don't want to do anything with Africa. We, we, we need to disband the church in Africa because they practice polygamy. Who gave mm. who the key to heaven on earth? Ooh. That yeah. will sit in judgment over the next person. I am saying scripture has its own. But how many of us follow scripture to the fullest? Mm. Mm. Are the people who are living do they not eat shrimps? Mm. Shrimps is for, is forbidden. Don't they eat it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We all got our flaws. We all got our faults. Yeah, it's, it's our flaw and our faults our failures and all of that, our diversity that we need to bring to the table, mm -hmm. to God's table. Yeah. And it's at his table that he blesses all of this. Mm. It's at the table that we all found grace. Yeah. Caleb, let me test a thought with you, and I just love to hear your honest response to it. But I wonder if we could remove language related to human sexuality from the Book of Discipline. Would that then make our general conference a space where it doesn't get brought up. It's not a conversation we need to have at the general church. Those are conversations we would have in our regions. Does that resonate with you? Or do you feel like the Book of Discipline needs to hold on to specific language around the Book of Discipline? I'm sorry, around human sexuality? Uh, if when we meet at general conferences and if the general church is about mission and ministry, I think the general church needs to keep there. Can we empower the different region to bring up their own discipline um, where maybe we can have a judiciary council that can interpret it Mm -hmm. But every region needs to form its own law mm -hmm. and all of that. Um, where I feel comfortable with the removal, you know, I keep telling people, those words have been there since the first general conference mm. in 1972. 
-hmm. It tells me that this debate was there even before the United Methodist Church became the United Methodist Church. Yes, definitely. What if it had not gone there in the first general conference? Um, that's one question that I ask. Uh, are we are we on biblical when we keep it there? Are we uh, less biblical when we take it out? I mean, all these questions come to me when we go this route with our debate. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we just need to be sensitive to ourselves. Um, we just need to be able to say to God, let your will be done. We just need to be able to let God be God in our midst. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Caleb, as we get ready for General Conference in 2024, there's so many things that are before the delegates there. Um, what do you think the next General Conference needs to be about? The next General Conference needs to be about world evangelism. The next general conference needs to be about our mission and our ministry to the world. The next general conference needs to be about how we reach out to the world to transform the world for Jesus Christ. When we sit and talk about uh, little things like homosexuality and other things, I think we make general conference like it is about us. We make general conference to look like uh, we are the purpose of general conference. Mm. We mm. need to look. We we we. I mean, general conference should be in spite of us. Is there a war? Is there a word dying from hunger? Is there is, is there a word that needs medical help? Are little children dying from polio and something across the world? Is there a place? Are there people who have run from their homes and become refugees in a deserted place? What is the church witness in that kind of a thing? That, for me, what General Conference is supposed to be about empowering the different regions to be able to minister God's word through theory and practice among the least of our brothers to be able to uplift those who are strong so that they can be strong enough to help those who can't help themselves. This is what General Conference should be about. Not about who we are. Not about petty arguments like 
uh, what should we do? I think general conference um, should look more outside than inside. We have a word. And unless the United Methodist Church takes its cue from John Wesley, the word is my parish. Look, I, I'm a student of John Wesley. Look at his stewardship pattern. Mm. He never mm. even had much for himself. Yeah, Everything went into evangelism and word outreach. But instead, we want to build our own kingdom. And because we want to build our own kingdom, we sit and fight over who should be heading this kingdom. That's all that we are doing. Wow. For me, general conference is will be about our mission and our ministry to the word. Yeah. Not about ourselves. What what I think uh there has we somehow we need to write our laws, but can we leave it to the region to do it? Right. And right. And and give the judiciary council the authority to deal with all of these laws that the regions are, ma are making. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, Caleb, that's so powerful. So do you have hope for the United Methodist Church worldwide? I've been in a lot of conversation. Uh, and I got into this conversation at a time when I, I was feeling down. I was feeling down because there was so much said <clears throat> about a church that made me who I am. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A church that gave me a name. By the way, it was a United Methodist missionary that named me Caleb. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I, I wish I could know if Ula is still living. Um, she was a Swedish missionary and nurse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, this church gave me so much. But as I, as I walk through Liberia and, and, and talk to people, I see hope. I see so much hope. I see hope in the, that this church needs to cultivate its resources in ways that it will put it into mission and ministry, developing both the humor and other resources to put them behind mission and ministry. I see hope because at where I stand now, I think that being the oldest annual conference outside of the United Methodist Church, I mean, in, in, outside of the U.S., we in 
Liberia Annual Conference need now to sit down and say, how can we do this to send missionary to the rest of Africa? Mm. I see hope that we need to reevaluate all that we've been doing and rebrand the church in ways that evangelism will take priority, that uh, evangelism and discipleship will take priority, that even in our mission schools, in our hospitals, chaplaincy and everything else will be so important that our doctors will come to know that it's not because of their skills and their knowledge that they are saving, it's because of God's saving grace that is working through them and using them as a channel I see hope that in our classrooms, God is, is, is using teachers. I see hope. I'm so hopeful that God will reawaken evangelism through the United Methodist Church. Look, what I know about church planting is that these splits, these divisions, allow people to go to places where other churches don't go. Mm. And what I'm hopeful about it is that if some go, God will use them in ways and places that we have not been. I'm hopeful the United Methodist Church will get all, out of this stronger and bigger and more responsive to the, to the people around them through the word of God. My goodness. Reverend Caleb Duma, thank you so much um, for sharing your insight, um, your story, and, and really, um, I mean, I've, I've already been on board with the future of the United Methodist Church, but this conversation has just like added a lot more fire uh, just to my passion for the UMC. So thank you so much for sharing today and being on the podcast, Caleb. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me. Uh, I'm just saying... I am hopeful because I, who was never meant to be, I am today because the Methodist Church built a leprosarium mm. that took that, that God used to take me from a nowhere to this place. There is hope yeah. and will become better, bigger, and responsive to the word, through God's word. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you, Caleb. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Bar of the Conference is produced by the team at Wesley's Revival, a ministry of Studio Wesley. Subscribe to this show on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or Google platforms so you don't miss a single episode. Thanks for joining us, and see you next time.